that's seriously um, what Cece shared during the prayer time was just so good. She's like, you should, you need to talk about this or that during the prayer time. And she just did it so eloquently and so powerfully about the, the meaning and the purpose of our prayer time. And I love seeing people pray together. I love, I love what this has become. And um, there's a phrase that, uh, that I'm just hearing in my head. And, and if you've been to any uh, high school football games, you'll hear this phrase uh, if somebody makes a mistake, if that little yellow flag gets thrown on the field um, signifying a penalty, you'll hear this phrase reverberate from the student section. And uh, it's, I've heard it from uh, Zealand high schools. I've heard it from some other high schools. But the student section starts yelling, and I think this is so clever. They just start yelling, you can't do that. You can't do that. And, <laughs> and I'm sure like the football players on the field are like, yeah, I know we can't do that. And uh, you don't even know how to play football, you people in the stands. But you hear that from the, from the student section, you can't do that over and over and over again. And I, I hear that phrase uh, in my mind, like when it comes to even a prayer time like this, like this is very um, not normal yet beautiful. And I hear this, this religious phrase like, you can't do that in church. And I'm like, I have to like, in my heart, in my spirit, like push that back. Because, you know, religion would say, well, you just have to do this, this, and this, and this, and then go on your way. But, you know, there were things here that happened today that um, weren't planned. Or it's just kind of trying to walk in the power of the spirit. And religion would say, do X and Y and get Z. And I love how God breaks in and says, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? And in the back of my mind, there is this little phrase, if you can't do that. But I'm so glad that God has given me this personality that even from a young age, when I was supposed to wear a tie and tuck in my shirt at church, and they, my dad would say, you got to do that in church. And I'm like, no, why? Why? Who says? And I've all, I love that I have this little, little bit, I guess, of a healthy rebellion, and I look at like even some social things that, that, that we um, take like as social norms in our lives. And, and, you know, there are things that people just kind of expect. But I, I look at one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he, he goes against some of the expectations that people had about him. People had like, hey, he should look a certain way. He should do X or Y or Z. He should, he should do things accordingly. And uh, last week, we already saw kind of this tension start to rise in the gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 2, that, that Jesus um, was sitting there teaching and the, the room was full and there was a crowd that was pressing around him and four friends broke through the roof and lowered their friend at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. And that's not even what they asked. They, they dropped their paralyzed friend at the feet of Jesus and, and expected Jesus to heal him. But Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. And the religious that were there were like, you can't do that. And he says, just so you know that I can do this, what's, more, what's harder to say? Like your sins are forgiven or get up uh, off your mat and walk. And he says, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the, the paralyzed man got up, got, uh, got up and walked out. This morning, I just want to talk out of Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple stories. In Mark chapter 2, as this tension continues to rise, and we're going to look at these stories, and my prayer is that in all of us, that we would work actively to root out religion in our hearts. Because religion can so easily creep in. Religion can so easily you know, creep in and say, well, I have to do this, this, and this, and this. And it, we can be overwhelmed by the burden and the weight of religion. When Jesus said that he came to bring freedom, 
And out of this relationship with Jesus, out of this life that Jesus has, has given us, that we are free to serve and free to love. And so look at Mark chapter 2. And I'm going to read these sections, uh, just take one at a time and kind of highlight what is, what is happening and then what is Jesus' response. And towards the end, I'm just going to highlight a couple things that, that hit me out of these stories. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. I love that. Like he was teaching the crowd. He, um, the crowd was coming to him. And Jesus, his eyes fixed on Levi. He saw Levi, the one in a tax collector booth, the one who had been rejected, the one who had, was considered a traitor, the one who had been pushed aside, who was a social outcast. And Jesus said, follow me. Jesus invited him into that relationship. And he rose immediately and he followed. And it goes on. It says, as he reclined at the table in his house, and so now we're inside of Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. You can hear the, the scribes and the Pharisees looking at Jesus and saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. Because here he was sitting with tax collectors. He was sitting with sinners. There were two categories of people. There were tax collectors and sinners. And sinners were all of those people that were unholy, unrighteous uh, for a variety of reasons. But these tax collectors were in a category all by themselves. They were like the worst of the worst. They had aligned themselves with Rome. They were considered traitors. They were thieves. They were ripping people off. And so nobody wanted to have um, a meal with them. Nobody ever wanted to associate with them. Actually, you, you know the story of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And as Jesus was passing by and he was short, nobody would even allow him to stand right in front of him because they hated tax collectors so much. And here Jesus was eating with these tax collectors, which what it meant was that it was a sign of a, fr a friendship, of, of acceptance. It established a relationship. To eat with somebody established a relationship. And there's a story that is told of, of two men who were fighting, who were going against each other uh, on the battlefield. And then they realized that their fathers had eaten with each other, had shared a meal with each other. And so they stopped fighting with one another because their, their families were supposed to be friends. And so eating a meal together signified relationship, signified friendship. And so the, the, the religious are looking at Jesus and saying, why is, he having, why is he being a friend to these sinners? And there he is lying with them. They're like reclining. They're on their left arm, eating with their, their right hand, which actually to recline at a meal was uh, another sign of like you know, freedom. Only royalty ate that way. And so Jesus is hanging out with these sinners and there is this complaint. Like, don't eat with these sinners. Don't eat with these tax collectors. Don't associate them. God is only gracious to those who are keeping the rules. God is only gracious to those who have everything in order. And Jesus' response is this. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician. 
And Jesus is not saying like, hey, some need me and some don't need me. No, he is saying that he is the great physician. He has come to bring righteousness to all those who recognize how much they need it. And so from the very beginning, you see this tension. They're like, why are you eating with these people? Why are you associating with these people? You can't do that. And the tensions continue. Look at the next section. It says, now John's disciples, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So it goes from who are you eating with to why are you eating here? The Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And so here's the second situation. They come to Jesus and they say, like, why do your disciples not fast? Why are your disciples eating? Why don't they engage in this religious practice? Fasting, people fasted for a number of reasons. If you look out the Old Testament, people would fast um, as a sign of repentance. They would fast uh, to hopefully uh, receive some sort of divine approval, to get God's help in situations. There were numerous times when uh, people were overwhelmed. And, and uh, for example, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, he was overwhelmed by the army that was coming against him. And he called a fast to cry out to the Lord. And so people would fast for a bunch of different reasons. And we don't know exactly why John's disciples fasted. It could be because he was in, in prison. But there was this religious thought that what I don't eat matters. There was an attitude that, that came across like, look how holy I am because I'm going without food. Look at how righteous I am because I'm not eating. We can see this attitude in Luke chapter 18. Flip over there. You see where this, this religious attitude rises up. Jesus is telling a story in Luke 18 and he highlights the attitude of the Pharisees, the attitude of the religious. It says this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's the story that he told. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Why? I fast twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I get. But then Jesus talks about the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And you see in this story that, that here is this man, here is this uh, Pharisee who's like, I fast twice a week. I'm exalting myself. Look at how amazing I am because of all that I am doing. My re religious righteous acts is earning approval with God. And so there was this attitude that, that they believed that, that as people fast, they would earn approval 
to God. And so Jesus' response is like, this is not a time of fasting. This is a time of feasting. There will be a time that comes when my disciples will fast, when my disciples will, will grieve, but will grieve with hope because I'm not there, but I am returning. But he says, this is a time of feasting. Jesus goes on. The next story, as attention continues, we go from eating with people to not eating to the Sabbath. In verse 23, it says, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And you hear the religious saying, You can't do that. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he stood in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to him, them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent and he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The tensions continued to increase. And here we see that, that it's the Sabbath. And the people are looking at the disciples pluck the heads of grain. And there was always this, this conversation about what could you do on the Sabbath or what could you not do? That you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And then it, it shifted to, okay, well then what is work? And, and what constitutes work? And there were numerous rules that they could not, uh, of things that they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Like you couldn't light a fire. You couldn't even light a match uh, on, on the Sabbath. There were so many things that you you could and couldn't do. And there was this religious thought like, this is how you honor God, by what you do and by what you don't do. But then over the years, when it came to the Sabbath, this day that, that was supposed to be, because Jesus said this Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, this day that was supposed to bring about rest and rejuvenation and refreshment to people and to see people restored, this day that was supposed to be freeing all of a sudden became this burden a day where you had an opportunity to do good, people did not do good. And Jesus is so grieved in his heart. He's angry. And I love that you see that picture of Jesus. Jesus is just angry over their hardness of heart that they had missed it. They had missed the, the complete point of the Sabbath. And frankly, of life and following Jesus. And then at the end, you see that there's these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, were both thinking about how they were going to destroy Jesus. And these two groups were unlikely partners. You had the Herodians, which were followers of Herod, who loved to be progressive, who loved new ideas, who loved to, to, to tell people, hey, whatever is right in your own eyes, go ahead and do it. 
They would be considered progressives or liberals today. Then you had the Pharisees, who by their name meant set apart. They were so concerned about doing right or wrong, they would be considered maybe conservatives today. And here are these groups that are both offended by Jesus. And they're both offended that they want to destroy him. Why? Because Jesus was a threat to both of their systems. The Herodians thought, you know what, you can become righteous. You can move forward by being more open-minded, by being more progressive. Whereas the Pharisees, conservatives, following the, the law, following the, the right and wrong, they're like, uh, we can be made right with God by what we do. And Jesus comes into the scene. And he is a threat because he did not come to establish a new religion. He did not come to reform an old religion. He came to establish a new way. And it's all in himself. And I think about Jesus and I think about the life that he offers. And I think about all that we have in Christ. And I start to think of myself, am I going the way of religion? Or am I being freed up to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with my life? I look at this story, I look at these situations, and I have to ask myself, is there religion in my heart? Where is the Pharisee in me? Because Jesus, like I said, Tim Keller says this, I love that he says this, didn't come to introduce a new religion or reform religion. He came to abolish it, to end it, and replace it with himself. Religion, by definition, is this set of, of rules and beliefs, ways that you can earn your way to God. That we think God will look on us with favor if we do X, Y, or Z. But Jesus says, you know what? I've come to bring a new way. And the gospel is that you are fully accepted, fully loved because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. There's a huge difference between religion and Jesus. Huge difference. That, like worlds apart. That even like, as I think about it, like why would we ever go back to a former way? I think of all these things like religion versus Jesus. And I just thought of, of a bunch of different ways that they are different. Religion says, here are the rules. Do this or do that. And by doing those rules, then you will become righteous. Jesus is all about righteousness is all up through a relationship, through knowing Jesus. Religion focuses on the outside, making sure that on the outside we look that we have everything together. Whereas Jesus is focused on the inside, making us a new creation from the inside out. Religion carries this weight, enslaves people, burdens people, where Jesus comes to free people to serve. Religion is all about pride and proving yourself, self-righteousness. Jesus is all about rest. See, the Sabbath is a great principle uh, to do once a week to rest from your work. But Jesus is also the Lord of the Sabbath. By saying that, he says he is the Sabbath, that all spiritual striving stops uh, with him. That we can find rest in our spirits with him. Religion says, be good, try harder. Jesus says, because of me, you can belong to God, your father. Religion reminds you of what you've done. It points to the past. Where Jesus reminds you of whose you are and points to the future that you have an inheritance. That you are a son and daughter of God. Religion uh, is all about repentance and, and punishment. Jesus is all about repentance, coming and saying you're sorry because of the kindness of the Father who wants to embrace you and welcome you back. Religion is all about competition, trying to outdo one another, saying I'm better than this person or that person. Jesus is all about, no, you get to co-labor with people for the sake of the gospel. Religion is advice and leads to death. 
Whereas Jesus is the good news that leads to life. Just have to think of our lives. Like, why would we ever want to participate in that list on the left? Why would we ever want to give our hearts to that? Something that just weighs down. Something that doesn't bring life. Why are we so tempted to kind of edge back into that direction? When Jesus and all that he offers is given to us day after day after day. I want us to wrestle with the question of this. Where is the Pharisee in me? Where is the religion in me that has to go? I think one of the healthiest things that we can do every single day is tell the gospel to ourselves. The gospel is for salvation, but the gospel is also for sanctification to be changed. Every day we have to be reminded of the truth that we are only made righteous because of what Jesus has done. That we are so loved by God all because of Jesus going all the way to the cross for us. That we are a son and daughter of the king. As I think about the gospel and I think about the fact that I am a new creation in Christ. That the old is gone, the new has come. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I think about all of that, that just... That just gives me so much joy because I'm not, my identity isn't based on what I did yesterday or the day before. My identity is based on Christ. And as I think about that, I'm changed and I want to, I want to follow Jesus and serve him more and more with my life. I think we need to tell the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. But also we have to allow the gospel to permeate our vision, to see people through the lens of the gospel, to not be critical of one another. There are times in the church where we can judge one another, where we can say, hey, you're not doing this, this, you're sinning in this area of your life, and we need to call each other out. But I think sometimes we can become religious in our perspective of people, looking at people through a critical lens. And Barry came up to me uh, this morning, and he says, we need to allow God to break our hearts for the things that break his, to see people the way that he sees people. I think we can become religious in our view of people to say, well, they should be doing this. They should be doing that. You shouldn't do that in church buildings. We get religious and we see people through that religious lens. We have to allow the gospel to permeate every part of our lives. And we have to make sure that in every opportunity, we are looking to do good. I'm grieved by the man who is sitting there with a withered hand. And everybody looked at him and they wouldn't even reach out to them because it was the Sabbath. Their religious rules got in the way of them extending a helping hand to this man. And Jesus says, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? To do good? Yeah. And he says, stretch out your hand. And it was healed. We have so many opportunities to bring Jesus to people, to share the gospel, to do good. Are we taking advantage of all of those opportunities? Or do we slide over into religion and say, eh, I don't know, that's inconvenient. Uh, I don't know about that. Let us look at our lives today and every day this week and say, God, show me the areas where I've become religious. Show me where I am like the Pharisees and get that out of me because I want to make sure that I'm giving people Jesus, bringing them to the feet of Jesus and allowing him to transform them. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Jesus. I just ask that if there is any religious spirit in us, that you would root that out.
any religious spirit that we participate with, that you would root that out. Jesus, I love that you not only clarify things, clarify the the purpose of fasting and the Sabbath and um, but that you completed all of that. That, that. that you are our righteousness. That you are um, our joy. That all righteousness is found in you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, there is no one that comes close to you. And I just thank you and I praise you that, that today as, we're, as I'm standing here and we're sitting here, God, that, that our righteousness is not based in what we've done or haven't done, but it is all based in what you have done, Jesus. And I ask that today, like, just joy would just come out of us because we are so loved by you that we're new creations. We just declare that there's nothing that comes close to your greatness, Jesus. And so I ask that we would not settle for anything less than you. We love you, Jesus. And that's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.